Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord and to uh, worship with you and hear the uh, testimonies and the praises and all that's going on here. And uh, I know that uh, you will miss uh, uh, Roger and Bridget and the kids uh, as they go to the Napa Corps, but I, I am sure that you will receive the new officers with loving arms, as such testified earlier. And uh, and uh, Jennifer and I, uh, our prayers go with all the officers that are in change throughout our, our division. Um, it's amazing how God kind of pulls it all together. Uh, we might have our own ideas. We might have our own ways of doing things. But ultimately, God's will will prevail. Amen? And that's what this really scripture text is about that, uh, that was assigned to me by the lieutenant on Mother's Day. A very difficult passage of scripture. I think he waited for the hardest Mother's Day scripture of all time. Uh, and said, uh, you're up to the challenge. And so that's because I would give him hard quizzes at the training school. He was one of my students. And so he's trying to get back at me uh, on this, this Mother's Day. But it is, it is great uh, to be with you uh, on Mother's Day. And uh, like uh, was mentioned in Sunday school class about what some of the things that people do for Mother's Day, uh, cooking meals, bringing meals to bed for, for Mother's Day, and, and all those wonderful things like that that we do for Mother's Day. And in my house, growing well, not not growing up, but after I got married and, and with Jennifer and we had children, uh, we were core officers, and so we were really busy on Mother's Day. Mother's Day was actually not a relaxing day, and so uh, after the church service, and usually when you're the core officer, you're the first one there and you're the last one to leave. And when you're the last one to leave on Mother's Day on Sunday. And then you think, well, I'll take uh, my wife, the, uh, the mother of my children. We'll go out to eat. But when you're the last one to leave the core on a Sunday, guess what happens when you get to a restaurant? You are at the end of the line outside the restaurant waiting to get inside. And so I would do this every, every year, every year for a while, going from one restaurant. And then I came up with this great idea because I'm very impatient. I, I'm patient with people, but I'm impatient when it comes to standing in line and doing things of that nature. So I thought, well, this year, I don't want to wait in line, you know, two hours just to get into Sizzler or something like that. So I said, well, let's go try a different restaurant. So we drive over to a different restaurant. That line was big. We go over to Denny's. That line was big. We go over to a Red Lobster. That line was big. But by the time, Jennifer's saying, look, by the time we've been driving around, we could have already been in the restaurant. And so finally, we come to a place that had no people in it because of my impatientness. Uh, we drove around forever, came to a restaurant, the high-class uh, hamburger establishment called Wendy's. <laughs> and there was nobody in there. And so me, my children, and Jennifer, my wife, we took mother out to a Mother's Day classic dining establishment on Wendy's. And so that has become a tradition in our household of on Mother's Day to beat the crowds because I'm impatient, we go out to Wendy's. Because on Mother's Day, there's not many people in Wendy's. So if you want a quick meal, go to, to Wendy's. And so that's become kind of a, a, a tradition. Or there's, I know there's a lot of people that like to bake or cook things for, the, for their mothers. And uh, I, I'm not a cook by any means. And I'm not very good at following directions. I try to run ahead of what's in, in the, the, what the recipe calls for or the directions. And so when something says you need to bake it for 30 minutes, at 350, I figured if you raise the temperature to 450, you could cook it for 20 minutes. 
And, and at the end of the result, it's just a disaster. Every time that I become impatient, every time that I, I run ahead of the recipe or the directions, there's disaster all over the place. It's written all over the place. Or how many of you put together some furniture from Ikea? All right? I, I, or put something together. I do not like reading directions. I rather just look at the picture. And I try to run ahead of everything and it all falls apart. You see, when we run ahead of what God has for us, things will start to fall apart. There will be turmoil in our life if we become impatient waiting upon the Lord. We're called to wait upon the Lord, but many times we want to do it our way. We, we say, you know what, God, we, we know that you're there. We know that uh, I'm told to wait upon you, but you know what? You're, you're taking your time, God. And so then we start to mess with God's timing. And when we mess with God's timing, there's always going to be turmoil. There's always going to be problems. But in the midst of getting that detour from what God has for us, or in the midst of that turmoil, God's mercy and his grace and hope is always present. Because even in the midst of all of that, we can encounter Jesus and we will receive mercy and grace and love. And so the passage of scripture that, that has been given to us, this story of Sarah E and uh, or, or will become later be known as Sarah and Abram, or who will later become known as Abraham and the story of their, of their servant Hagar, is this story of God's ful- fulfilling his promise. God's faithfulness, even when things, when people try to do it on their own, God's faithfulness. God always holds true to his word. God always holds true to his word. He is faithful to his promise. And so in order to get a context of of this this passage of scripture, this story, we need to go, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to have to kind of talk our way through it because it's a very uh, full story uh, over uh, several chapters in Genesis, which I'm not going to hit all of it, but I wanted just to give a little bit of a background. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 6. And this is about a promise to Abraham, what's called the Abrahamic uh, covenant. He's now called Abram at this time. But God promises Abram that he is going to make him into a great nation, that he is going to bless him with a child and make him into a great nation. And so chapter 15, uh, verse 6, and this, is, this, this verse right here is critical to the rest of Scripture and to our salvation. This is, this, is, this is this covenant from God, and I want you to listen closely to what it says here in verse 6. It says, uh, so let me go up to verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Abram, this man will not be your heir, but a son, this is important for us for this story, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, and if you can, count them. Then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. So your, your offspring was going to be that like the stars in the universe, that amount. Verse 6, this is so critical for you and I to understand what it means to receive a salvation by belief. Look what it says to verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and it was what? It was credit to him as righteousness. That is so important for us to understand that it is all about faith. It's always about putting our belief in the Lord. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not on our own doing, not on our own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through Christ that is accredited or deposited for you. 
You see, you and I cannot do enough good things to earn ourselves into heaven. The word of God says that only those with holiness shall see the Lord. But we and you and I, we sin. We mess up. I don't know about you, but, but I sin over and over many times. How many of you in here are perfect? If you raise your hand by doing that, you're not perfect. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And what it is, is Abraham believed God. That is crucial. And when we talk about God fulfilling his word, if God promises us something, if God gives to us, he upholds his word. Our response is to believe. And when we believe, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a credit to us, deposited for us, our inheritance. This whole story is about inheritance, is Christ's righteousness. And it's that righteousness that allows me to come into the presence of God. Not of my own righteousness. And so Abraham, here's the first promise of that, that it's all about, in the Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. Believe in the word of the Lord. Believe in God. And it was a credit to him to write. So that's really important to understand because this promise was to make him into a great nation and to have uh, many children. And it's all about inheritance. This story is all about inheritance. A little later, uh, what we walk through fairly quickly is the story of, of two mothers, Sarah E. and uh, Hagar. And they each had a child, Isaac from Sarai and Ishmael from Hagar. And we talked about today, someone mentioned about the UN going into Jerusalem. And we're told in scripture to pray for Jerusalem, for the peace of Jerusalem. And that Middle East conflict that all has been going on for years and years is, is right here between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac, from Isaac comes the nation of Israel, which we have Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through the Jewish line, through, through Isaac. And the, the Arab nations comes through Ishmael. And so even back here, we see this tension that builds right here. Why? Because people ran ahead of God. And there's always been tension. And even that tension is here today. That's a, a separate story. But, but, it's, but I wanted to give us the, the background as we take a look into this. So let's go into chapter uh, 16. That God always fulfills his promise. Now, he promised this back in chapter 15. Actually, the promise goes actually back to chapter 12. But now it's, it's several years later and still no, no child. And so chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So, he said, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can bear a family through here. Whoa, wait a second. This is like heavy drama right here. This is heavy drama right here. Look what happens. They got the promise that Abraham would have a child and through that child will become a great nation. But they become impatient. Sarah is, Sarah is realizing, wait a second, I have no children. Who's going to inherit the estate? That's what this whole thing is about. Who's going to inherit the land? Who's going to inherit this all? I don't want a, a servant child to inherit all this stuff. So we need to have our own child. But she's not having any children. So she comes up with, a, with an idea. She runs ahead of God. She becomes impatient. And when we become impatient and we try to do things on our own, we will always fall into the world system. 
You see, it was the cultural norm of this day. This is before the nation of Israel. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is the beginning of it. This is Abraham, from, from, who was a Chaldean. He's from the place of Ur. And the cultural norm of that time was is that you could have children. If your wife can't bear children, then you could go have children through uh, your servants and maidservants and things of that nature. It, nowhere in Scripture does God ordain that. Uh, nowhere in Scripture does God ordain that. And so Sarah E. takes it upon herself. And I think what happens sometimes in our own lives is that when we run ahead of God, when we become impatient, then we start to follow the cultural norms of society. We start to follow the world system instead of God's system. But here's the great news and the great hope. Even though that this happened, God's will still prevails. God's will still prevails. So let's move on a little bit more in our, in, our, in, our, in our story. Because when all this happens, so they run ahead. Now Abram, he agrees to what Sarah E. said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah E., his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to, uh, to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then she blames Abram. So think about this for a moment, right? She has no children. So she takes a look, and she sees that some of the servants said, Oh, Hagar, she's pretty good looking. Maybe Abram will like her. And so he goes to Abram, go, you go with Hagar, uh, have a child, and so we can have a child for the inheritance. So, she, so Abram does that, not right, he wasn't being obedient to God, he didn't follow God's plan, he followed Sarah E's plan, goes to have a child with Hagar, has the baby, or you know, goes to, he's done the baby yet, but has, goes to be with Hagar, and then Sarah gets all upset. Well, of course, when you step out of line of God's will and purpose, there's only stress. There's only turmoil. There's only problems when we step out of line of God's will. And if we could just believe and wait upon the Lord when God promises something, his will, his word will always come true. Our response is to be obedient and to be obedient in, in faith. So we see all this is, all this is happening, and let's move through the, the story. So we see that Sarah e and Abram had a lack of trust, and that human impatience allows them to go down a cultural norm that is not God's standard. And running ahead of, of God becomes very dangerous. I have a, uh, since the last time I was here, I became a, a grandfather. And I have a beautiful little granddaughter. Her name is Melanie. She's about 15 months old now. And, uh, and boy, she is very, very active. And I play the grandfather. I have to do the babysitting and all that, right? You know, anytime my daughter calls now, she says, Dad, what are you doing? I know I'm going to be babysitting, right? But how can you say no to a little granddaughter, right? So anyway, so I, I watch her. But she loves to climb. She loves to climb. If, if I'm over here. If I turn around, she'd be climbing on the altar. Then she'd be climbing up onto here. And I constantly have to, to be, be close to her. And what I noticed was, even when she's walking on a wall, that we have a little wall in her house, and she's walking on this wall, as long as that she's in arm's reach of me, she is totally safe. We go climbing up stuff at the park, and you know, sometimes there's places where you go down the slides, and there's an opening, and you know, people climb down, and for her, she could fall. If she runs ahead, the danger is, is when she runs ahead of me where I cannot reach her. That's the danger. And I'm wondering sometimes... 
Are we trying to run ahead of God from, from his hand? His hand is always there, constantly pursuing us. And then sometimes we want to say, no, I think I could do it better on my own. But when we do that, that's when there's danger. And so that's exactly what is, what is happening here. So then we see in verse 3 and 5, she gets all upset. Then Sarah E said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Wait, whose idea was it? Have you noticed that? When you step out of line and stuff goes, start going bad, what happens? It's their fault. They wronged me. They said this. They did that. They did this. I mean, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Who, who, remember, remember Eve? Right? She, Adam blamed Eve and then Eve blamed the serpent. They're all guilty and we pass the blame. When we get out of the will of God, we will always, always pass the blame. And so we see this was happening with, uh, with Sarah, Sarah E's passing the blame. So, and then not taking responsibility. Look at verse 6. How many of us have done this? We don't take responsibility. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah E mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Sarah E mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Now, verse 7, this is what I, I, one of the reasons that the lieutenant wanted me to, to, to kind of look at this passage of Scripture because the, the Scripture uh, series, or I said the sermon series that you've been doing is encountering Jesus. Yeah. Encountering Jesus. And, and in the Old Testament, we can still see in an encountering with Jesus. In this passage right here, a lot of commentaries uh, use the word theophany or Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate Christ who comes along. And we're, we're going to take a look at this. And so here in verse 7, so I want you to see, though it says the angel of the Lord, it's, it's a theophany. It's this, this pre-incarnate Christ. So kind of ma- imagine that in your mind, this, this Christ, the, the, the Christ. Not, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, slave of Sarai, where are you from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then the angel of the Lord said that now you are pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, you shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. Now, why do we think that this is a pre-incarnate Christ? Well, verse 10, look what it says in verse 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Only God can do that. Only God could do that. So it's pointing to this pre-incarnate Christ that God's coming down, and not in flesh as he did in, in, in the Son of God, as we see in, in the, the Christmas story, but nevertheless, in what we call a theophany, God comes down and he inter uh, exchanges with people. And this is a picture going even all the way back to the Old Testament. Do you notice what the angel or this pre-incarnate Christ says? Where are you going and what are you doing? It's the same image that God in the Garden of Eden walked in the cool of day. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they hid themselves in the bushes? And God comes walking in the cool of day. And he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you going? It's the same thing. He's asking this question. Where are you going and what's going on? And I believe it's the same thing today that God is calling each and every one of us. He's pursuing us. It's a picture of God's pursuing relationship, wanting to know where we are, wanting to know what we're doing. He says, hey, where are you? What are you doing? I am here for you. 
I am here for you. I have heard your misery. Look at the word of God throughout scripture. It talks about those who cry out to the Lord. God will hear them. Uh, A verse of scripture that I just want to share with you in that. He says this. The eyes of the Lord are, are righteous and he hears are attentive to their cries. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their care. That this idea that we can cry out to the Lord and he hears our misery. It says, cry out to the Lord and he will hear us. And when we talk about the word crying out, it's not crying for the sake of feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not crying to say, well, you know, someone hurt my feelings and so I'm going to cry and have a pity party. You know, what's that, that song? I can cry at my party if I want to. What's that song? Right? Right? It's my party. I can cry if I want to. No, that's not the type of crying out to the Lord that, that is seen here. It's, it's a surrender. It's a brokenness. It's a surrender to say, you know, I cannot do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need something bigger than myself. And it's a cry out to the Lord God Almighty. It's not a pity party. But it's a surrendering to the power of God, knowing that his mercy and his grace, his sufficiency, his forgiveness, his his sustaining power is with us. And so that's what is, is happening. And I'll, I'll need to start wrapping this up uh, uh, here. But are, are you with me following? Are we tracking on the scripture? Okay. So then we see that this, that the, the in order, in order for uh, uh, Hagar to be blessed, in order for Hagar to, to do what she needs to do to be blessed, she had to be obedient. Did you see what the angel said? You need to go back to your mistress. Now think about that for a moment. She was being mistreated. She was being mistreated. She was kicked out. She was chased away. And yet the Lord is saying, you need to go back. Amen. You see, obedience will always be blessing. But obedience is not easy. It's not always fun. It seems illogical sometimes. But it is always right. And when we're obedient to God, then God will reconcile things and he will fulfill his word because the promise to, is, to Hagar is that she too was going to be made in, through a, a, great, a great nation. And God is in the business of, of doing the impossible. And we see that even to this day, God fulfilled that, world, that word uh, through Hagar, through the, the fact is that we have today the full Arab nation. And so she has been blessed. She has been made into a great nation through her son, Ishmael, that God fulfills his word. But in, in closing, let's, let's wrap it up because we also want to get over to uh, verse 21, another uh, uh, appearance of, of the Lord in, in chapter 21, excuse me, chapter uh, 21. So now Hagar goes back. Hagar goes back to Sarai and, and life is still not good. Now, think about how it is for Hagar. She's not the one, uh, she's not the one that came up with this, this crazy idea. It was imposed upon her. Um, being a servant girl or a slave, she had, to, she had to say okay. And so she does all that. And then the, the angel of the Lord tells her to go back to the mistress, which is Sarah E. And she goes back, and life is terrible. And because when she has the son, Ishmael, now Sarah E gets even more jealous, more irate, starts mistreating her, and says, you know what, you need to, we need to get rid of her. 
Because I don't want Ishmael to inherit the estate. I don't want Ishmael to inherit what Abraham has. But God, way back in chapter 15, had promised Abram that he would be made into a great nation through his own flesh and blood, through him and Sarah Eve. But they were impatient. And so she goes back. And then she's sent away. And then let's take a look what happens. So finally, she is, is sent away. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 8. It says, The child grew and was weaned on the day Isaac weaned Abram, held a great feast. Um, and go, moving on because of time. Let's go to verse uh, uh, 14. Early next morning, Abram took some food and skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he sent them on her shoulders and sent them off with a boy, uh, with the boy, she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down. This is Hagar. Went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Verse 17. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, here's another encounter with, with the Christ. Here's another encounter. What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So when she went to fill the skin of water, they gave the boy a drink and then the boy grew up and they went on and actually became a, a, a huge nation. But just in closing, I want us to just take a look at this. That here we see, once again, Hagar in misery, seeing the fact that her son was about to die of thirst. And the boy was crying out. And she was crying out, sobbing. And here's the first picture that we have in Scripture where we see the tenderness of God come alongside the single mom. At this point, she was, she, was, she, was, she was excommunicated. She was pushed away. And she was left by herself. But yet God, in his mercy, heard her cry and came alongside. And then in verse 19, said, and opened her eyes, and then they saw the water that was to give them life. What a picture of it is in the New Testament, when we see many times through Scripture, that when the eyes are open, they see who Jesus is. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. But those who are believed, their eyes are open to the glorious news of, of the good news. And this world, the enemy of this world, wants to blind the eyes of moms and dads and anyone, anyone that doubts, wants to blind their eyes. But I'm here to let you know that we have a God that loves us. We have a God who will hear our, our cries. As we cry out to the Lord, he hears, his ears are attentive to our cry. And when we cry out to God and we encounter Jesus, then our eyes are open. Remember walking on, on the road to Damascus as, as Paul's eyes were, were open. Remember on Emmaus when Jesus, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking alongside the men. They're telling about all the stuff that happened during the resurrection and the days after. And when they went to break bread, their eyes were opened and they saw who Jesus was. We live in a place and a time and a world where we need to let people know who Jesus is, that they can have an encounter with Jesus and their eyes can be opened so that they too might experience the righteousness of Christ in their lives. 
But the, the enemy of this world wants to blind the eyes of, of everyone. And, but the eyes of the, the Lord will open up the eyes. In closing verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 42, 7 says this. The Lord is, is the righteous one who opens the eyes of the blind, frees the captivities from prison, and releases from the dungeon who sit in darkness. Hagar found herself in darkness. She found herself in a prison in the desert. But yet, the Lord heard her cries. And her eyes were open. And she saw that there was water of life-giving water. May it be our prayer. As our eyes are open, we might encounter Jesus in that way. And lead other people. So they too, their eyes might be open. And they could come to the living water. That they can come to the living water. Let us just close in in, in a word of, of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord God, that, that you are true to your word, that you promise and you fulfill your word as you fulfilled your word through uh, Abram, as you fulfilled your word through Hagar, that you too will fulfill your word for us, that you keep your promises. And Lord, in the times that we do uh, find ourselves in misery or times that we feel that we're, things are hopeless, that you hear our cries. And that you will open our eyes to who you are so that we might have provision and your presence in our life. Lord, I thank you for the Eureka Corps. I pray, Lord God, that you bless them as a community. I pray that they would reach out to others so that they too might uh, see who Jesus is. Lord, bless them in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.